This is Trackside with Kirk Cavan and Kevin Lee. Oh, Dalton Dal- Kellett in the turn one wall very hard. First crash of the month of May, and it's a big one. AJ Foyt Racing's Dalton Kellett. The K-Line insulated Chevy just snapped sideways and into the wall just like that. I honestly feel really good. I mean, it's, it's a testament to the safety of the safer barriers over at IMS and the safety system on the IndyCar, the side impact structure, the helmets, the head surround. My foot hurts a little bit, but it'll be good to go in a, in a couple of days. So I'm, I'm fine. Yeah. Looking at the replay, it looks like it happens really fast. But in the moment, like the, the, the rear steps out, you start going around and you kind of know where you are in space. You're like, OK, if I hit now, I'm going in back, which is really going to hurt. And you keep going around more and then you see the wall and you're like, well, OK, it's it's coming soon. And yeah, there, there, there were words that were shouted that I can't re- repeat here. Let's just say. Well, part of the Prime 47 Burger Bash from last night. At the USAC building, just across from the world's greatest race course, Dalton Kellett was one of the guests, kind enough to join even after smacking the wall yesterday. We'll get into that a little later on, but we've got content from a really entertaining weekend of qualifying that we didn't cover as much because of the circumstances last night that we normally would have. Thank you for joining us. Trackside 93.5, 107.5 The Fan in Indianapolis. Sam Rumsa is back in the chair at the MS Communications headquarters. Kevin Lee, Kurt Cavan, J.R. Hildebrand joins us coming up a little bit later on to talk about his program with A.J. Foyd Racing. Uh, Also, Brady Bacon talks about some of the short track racing coming up by the end of the show tonight, going on at uh, Circle City Raceway and Speedrome, and he's probably racing uh, eight nights and seven days. So we'll get into all that coming up in a little bit. Kurt, let's just get into qualifying and what we saw over the weekend and just your general thoughts. I shared some of mine on the Peacock practice show yesterday, but what did you think about it? It was circumstances that in some way created the format on Sunday, but what'd you think of it? I like the format. Uh, I don't know that I wouldn't uh, have preferred, you know, seeing bump day and, and then having uh, the fast nine shootout, but I did like this. I thought it provided, you know, it had a familiar feel to it for being different because it was it was similar to the Fast Nine shootout that had been used in recent years. So it at least it felt like uh, something we had been doing, even though it was slightly different. I think I think the part that I the biggest takeaway that I had is I probably had twenty five people reach out either directly or indirectly meaning social media or text or in person, just talking about how exciting it was and how much they enjoyed it. And it had a feel of, of big time speed. It had, you know, we're not going to catch Ari Leyendike anytime soon, or maybe we will in a couple of years, <laughs> but it was, uh, it sure felt like one of those kind of days where, where records could fall, um, Obviously, we know that, you know, like I said, Lion Dykes mark wasn't going to fall, but but we certainly had a sense for uh, the the magnitude of the moment. I think the bravery that must go into qualifying three times for the poll uh, really has to rank Scott Dixon's poll among his 
among his uh, more impressive ones. Uh, you know, he's won it five times, so it's it's difficult to rank them. But this one was pretty impressive given he had to do it the three times. And, you know, the conditions, you know, obviously played a role in, in maybe which cars got to the Firestone Fast 12. But, you know, that creates a, a even more interesting Indy 500 because of so many drivers that, you know, because they qualified later in the session on Saturday, they're deeper in the field than than they might have otherwise been. Now, maybe maybe everybody would have settled at the level that they did uh, on their own, but it does seem to me that this is about as jumbled of an IndyCar lineup, in part because it's just that competitive. But, you know, you, you've got cars all the way through the field, and that happens most years in some respects. But when you take a look at a row nine, for example, when you have Colton Herter that most people thought could be in the Fast 12, Scott McLaughlin, most people thought could be in the top in the Fast 12. And Elio Castroneves, who, who hasn't shown the speed, but obviously we believe that's a race-winning potential car. I mean, that's just an example of, of how deep things run uh, with this field. I like the format. I concede that I would prefer that there was bumping with 35 or 36 cars, but they got creative and it worked and they solved the issue of cooling the engines and i think added something that that is kind of nice with you know there's a little bit of downtime so you know let's basically introduce the cars that are going to be in the shootout at the end the stars of the show and let the six cars go by at a speed it's probably good commercially too when they're going 240 miles an hour it's kind of hard to read those logos on the side of the car and you you roll them around at 100 Everybody can take some nice pictures, uh, even with a, a normal camera phone, and, and read it. And, you know, maybe even even through the arrow screen, uh, the driver can wave a little bit. If they're not, they may be too focused on the task at hand that's coming up. But I was impressed with the scenario that IndyCar came up with. Nothing's ever perfect, and we're never going to satisfy everyone. I like the end, though. I, I know some people would still love to see you know, bumping and who makes the field finishing up the weekend because that's the way it used to be. But this parallels with other sports where the winner is decided at the end. And the winner is who's going to lead the field to the green. And the closest runners up are the ones who have the next best chance to win the race. And those are the people that are involved in the Fast 6. The Fast 12 gets more players involved. Uh, the television rating was up a little bit. I think last year it was something like 650000 for the end of the day in the Fast 9 shootout. This one was just shy of a million, and you had uh, some pretty decent competition. I know you were going up against the PGA Championship, and I'm not sure what else. NASCAR, uh, I think, had started their all-star race uh, or the prelims or whatever, but they were on the air at the same time, so you had a lot going on. So it was good. Bigger crowd, I think, than we've had. I think I saw that. That uh, who wrote that? Adam Stern, maybe Nathan Brown. Nathan Brown from the Star might have gotten those numbers. That the the numbers uh, were so they estimated fifty thousand fans over the weekend, matching the draw they had in twenty sixteen around the lead up to the hundredth that was sold out, and about thirty thousand on Sunday. It just looked like it was a little bigger. It sounded a little better. So I was really happy with that day. And the great thing about this is if they get 35 or 36, it doesn't need to be blown up. 
that slots in perfectly. It will be even better if you can somehow get to that number and, and have a last row shootout to begin the day. It does. And as I said, I think the key for me was that it felt familiar. It it was a change, but it really wasn't a change. Yes, we had 12 instead of nine and and you had two rounds instead of one. But at least at least you didn't have to explain it. You know, one of the things that's happened historically at the Speedway is there's been these tweaks to the to the program and then you're trying to explain it. And so it just wasn't that difficult. And so I think that was that was outstanding. Uh you know, the crowd, yeah, I think what I took from the crowd was you could, you know, you could hear it and there was real excitement and enjoyment when guys threw big numbers on the board. You know, when we're mm-hmm. throwing, you know, years in recent years, when we ran a 226 or a 228, you know, it was, yeah, it was cool because that was quicker than the car before, but it, you know, 234, that's pretty impressive. And when you when you threw some of those big numbers on the board, you could hear the crowd on the front straight away. And, and I think that 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 cements it even more that speed does matter to people. It you know, we you know, we've talked about it before. Does a track record really mean anything? Uh, and it does, because people people like to see, you know, someone go to the next level. Uh, regardless of you know whether it's in baseball or or auto racing, it was even better that it was the second fastest qualifying speed ever because we didn't expect it to happen. Uh, you know, f- frankly, the the rules, the the series can somewhat dictate that. You know, a few years ago there was a plan to try to go after the the track record, and they were going to make some allowances to, to allow the cars to go faster. Just like back in the day, they've done things to slow them down. They've always done that. They slow them down. And then the smart people involved in engineering and, and working on the cars figure out how to go faster. And a few years later, they slow them down again and they still go faster. And that's what happened this year. They just figured out naturally how to go faster without us expecting it. I don't know that anyone expected 234. So all of our group of the on-air people the quote so-called experts and i put myself in that just a so-called expert not a real expert but we all picked a a poll average and nobody said 234 and i decided you know i'm going i'm going on the high end and i said 23382 or something and that was the highest number that anyone in our group picked and that's still now price is right rules i win but that was still not close enough to what dixon did do we know why it was faster I don't. I haven't been able to pinpoint that. You know, they ran two thirty one eight last year for the poll, and and you had, I think I was getting ready to pull it up. Like you know, you, you had, you know, twenty cars over two thirty, but they were all kind of in that two thirty two thirty one range. They were very close last year, but this time you saw just a little bit more, and uh, it was you know it was fun to see. And so, yeah, I wasn't expecting thirty four. You know, going into the month. Uh, but I did think as we were watching it, I thought we might see a 35 lap, a 235 lap, at least in the practice. And we almost did. I mean, it was like 234.7. So it was it was smoking and, and uh, people enjoy that. They they got excited. And when you get that energy back, I think that really speaks to what what's going to be a very, uh, in, you know, excited Indy 500 crowd. It's going to be a full house practically, and uh, I think it'll be spectacular. Theories on the extra speed would be, one, it was a nice, cool day, so that helps. And obviously, 
we need to start measuring atmospheric conditions as well because it was cool on Saturday afternoon uh, after the rain, but from talking to a couple of engineers, you know, for example, the Penske cars uh, went out and we had the question, did McLaughlin have to go after the rain delay when he went slower and lost his original time because he had moved to the priority lane? Yes, he did. So the way, as we explained last week, the, the way the rules worked, if you got in lane one, you are withdrawing your time and it is withdrawn if you get a chance. If something keeps you from getting a chance outside of your control, for example, time expiring or weather, then you get your time back. So the question, and and apparently there was some confusion, but I think we talked about this on the show last week. Uh, I know I asked the question in the competition meeting. Sage Karam was on the track and it started raining. So he showed a zero on the board for a while. He would not have had a zero if it rained the rest of the day. He would have gotten his original time back because he was not given the chance to finish his run. So then it rains, but he has to go back out or he takes a zero and he's starting, he's starting last. But because he had already gotten in that line, he had to go back out. And the other, I don't know, three, four, five cars that were in lane one when it started to rain had to stay in that lane and had to go. So that's why McLaughlin had to go or he would have started I guess he would have started 32nd ahead of Stefan Wilson because he's higher in entrant points. That's how that would have been regarded. And then Joseph Newgarden got the reprieve because he was going to go slower, but the lightning came and that ended the day. But the point being, I was just hearing that uh, the air was just too thick. So one thing to be cool, but the air was too thick. So you had the right air mixture on Sunday with cool conditions. And another theory is that that penetrant combined with, I'm sure, other things, because it's not the first time that we've seen the track darkened with the penetrant, not really a sealer, but the penetrant, we've learned. And that just apparently added a little bit more grip to things. But whatever, it was good, and we enjoyed it. So the next thing to bring up is Chevy versus Honda. I think a lot of us, from the way the season had started and what we were seeing in practice, thought that Chevy maybe had just a little bit of an advantage. Not a big one. And Honda was still going to be in the mix. And then you see Honda go 1, 2, and 5, and 6, and 9. So, is it Honda or is it Ganassi has really found something and maybe Chevy has something on all the rest of the Honda teams because those are all Ganassi teams. One, two, five, six. Yeah, I think it's it's probably more the Ganassi effect than the than the Honda Honda effect. Although I don't know that I could you know, it's splitting hairs because they're all they're pretty close. Uh the other thing is um you know, you saw the biggest trap speeds I think we saw the biggest trap speeds from the Hondas. Connor Daly had a big one. Uh, Renus VK was big numbers. Uh, I don't know if that's consistent. You mean from the Chevys? Yes. Uh, sorry, sorry, sorry. From the Chevys. Yeah. So they may be faster down the straightaway, and I think that may have been what led us to think they would be stronger. You know, one of the things that led us to think they would be stronger at Indy, but uh, obviously the Hondas have something and, and in particular, the Ganassis have something I'm, you know, there's, we're going to get into some more of the details, but you know, the fact that only one Andretti got through the fact, uh, yep. that only one, uh, other Honda got through with, with Dale coin racing and Takuma Sato, 
but again, I go back to qualifying draw had a lot to do with this one. You know, you got a lot of cars, you know, five of the first six cars in the qualifying line on Saturday, they made the fast 12 because they were able to post big numbers that just couldn't be beat after, uh, after the track and the conditions started to warm. So I don't know that I'm willing to say that, you know, I definitively know something other than the fact that the Ganassis are strong and we know it and they'll race well. They'll race well, not just because they're strong, but because they have veterans as well. They have experienced drivers. You know, when when Marcus Erickson and Tony Kanaan and, and Jimmy Johnson are, are your three of, of your five uh, lowest performing cars, eh, you're in pretty good shape. So one, two for the first time in qualifying since 08 when it was Dixon and Weldon. And, and I think uh, Dixon and Pelot will be, you know, the class of the field at least early, and we'll see how it shakes out from there. So you mentioned the Andretti's were not as quick, and one of them is Colton Herta loses an engine during his qualifying run. And there is something to that. You know, he said to me, you know, I hope we just need to um, wear in the engine a, a little bit. And as I was asking people, yesterday morning was there any thought to waiting to put the race engine in on friday every answer i probably talked to five different engineers or team managers and they said no because these engines are very consistent they're very durable and they actually get better with some mileage you do not want a brand new engine in to start the 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 race you want more than just what you're going to get on carb day i don't know what the sweet spot of number is but it's you know, it's a few hundred miles you'd like to have that on that engine to put it in its top line. So I, I still think there's a chance that Colton Herta has more pace than what he's shown back there. The other story is Team Penske. So as you talked about, yes, they had a horrible draw, and that impacted things. Even though it didn't get super hot on Saturday, it still apparently the air got thicker, and it was warmer. Track temp was up probably, what, 20, 25 degrees from when we started in that 11 o'clock hour and moving it up an hour earlier made the draw even more important and helped someone like a Felix Rosenquist put up the third best spot. I'm not sure that he's the third fastest car, but going out that early, that really helped him. So where are the Penske's? This is the biggest surprise after two straight years of not qualifying well and really poorly last year. I think we all assumed that they would figure something out, especially when we saw that the Chevys appeared to have something this year. Well, it's uh, I don't feel like they're in, in bad shape here. I mean, we, you and I talked about last night during the Burger Bash that we both feel Joseph Newgarden is going to be a, a really solid tier one mm-hmm. type of competitor on race day. And obviously power is is chomping at the bit to get uh, another Indy 500 win. I think he'll be in he'll be competitive as usual and we've seen such great things from scott mclaughlin this year that it'd be difficult to count any of those three out particularly new garden so you know they're they're a little further up in the field and again mclaughlin would have been 15th if he would have just stayed where he was at so he's not really a, a 20 what 26th place qualified car you know he was more like 15 and he went out in a you know more challenging circumstances, so I'm not too worried about Team Penske. I'd be more worried if if I were them that the Ganassis are that strong. It's going to take a while for them to get there, uh, especially McLaughlin. You know, he's starting the same place I think that Pagano started last year and finished third. So obviously, you can get there. Does 
something have to happen to give you a chance to pick up a few spots quickly, you know, for a benefit of a caution timing, maybe, but I think you can still pick your way through, but I agree with you. I still think McLaughlin can win, but I have, I will lower him in my tiers. I might've had him in a tier two. If he would have qualified where I thought he was going to in the top 10, I might have put him in tier two to win the race because I really think he's smart and I think he learned some things from Texas. It's different. It doesn't totally apply, but I know he's pretty analytical and I chatted with him a little bit on Sunday morning and he has been studying and thinking about the end of this race, as I'm sure they all do, but he's got some pretty good resources. One's named Rick Mears that has been around here and watching for a long time that will help him and will help everyone else. So I still give him a chance, but I give Newgarden and Power a good chance, and especially Newgarden. But I think Power will be quietly right there in the mix, and we'll get into all the things that we expect to happen either tomorrow or Thursday night on the show. Just kind of want to wrap up the qualifying things. At the other end of the thing is what's happening with Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan. I can't answer that one. Yeah, slow at Texas. Um, Not just slow in qualifying, but they've not had pace really in race trim. Maybe I'm missing something. Maybe they were a little better than I thought in race trim, but my recollection from the week is they weren't super fast in race trim either. So that's going to be a long shot. Now, all that said, where's Graham starting? Graham is starting. He's not starting terribly. 21st. Graham still, if he finishes the race, probably going to finish in the top seven or eight. But I don't think he he doesn't have the pace to win the race, though, unfortunately. I don't think. Unless something really turns around, he goes from someone I would have had in like a tier two or tier three that I'm going to move down a little bit. And um, I'm probably not going to give either one of his teammates, you know, they're going to be people that I don't even list, that it's going to be a major, major surprise. Obviously, one's a rookie. But, you know, Jack Harvey might have been someone we put in that category, but I don't think we're going to this year. Well, they have two of the three slowest cars or two of the two of their three cars are the slowest in the field. I mean, or you could say they're the slowest because Stefan didn't put a time up. (laughs) Well, I I don't think Stefan is is, uh, you know, I think he's he's probably the slowest of the three. But but it's probably right. He didn't post a time. But um yeah, I mean, you've got two cars starting on the back row. You know, when a team has one back there, that's that's bad enough. If you're a regular team and and you've got the resources to be to be uh, up higher in the grid, but to have two cars back there, so yeah, one's a rookie, and and certainly Jack Harvey didn't expect to be there, and Graham, I mean, he just doesn't seem to have the pace either, as you mentioned. We saw, I think we said this on Friday, that we wouldn't be surprised if people withdrew their Saturday time because there's no risk of missing the race. I I think that what Team Penske was doing was still fine. When they had to make that decision to withdraw their time, it made some sense to get in the fast lane for Newgarden and McLaughlin because the slow lane was never going to happen. You just weren't ever going to get a chance. And when you're Team Penske, that, that shows if people think they didn't put a lot of emphasis in qualifying and they're just going to be satisfied to start somewhere in the middle and have good race cars, that shows that that was not the plan. I guarantee the mandate was given after last year is that we are going to give ourselves a better chance to win the race by starting up front. That's why the gamble was made. We think we have two good cars. We want them starting up front. And I thought it was a worthy gamble. 
it was a worthy gamble. Didn't work out, so they start further back. Um, but had the conditions played in their factor, you know, they probably both should have been just inside the top ten. Well, interesting that you point out that Sage Karam and Scott McLaughlin both, you know, were on the racetrack in what we thought would be better conditions. Sage actually ran essentially the same time or slotted the same place in the field. McLaughlin went, what, 10, 12 spots back. So, you know, Sage was able to kind of maintain what he had before he went out on that run. Mm-hmm. You know, the Team Penske car was not. So that I thought that was interesting. That shows they just got better. They found something to get better to overcome. Mm-hmm. And it's still a bit of a, a very highly educated guess, but an educated guess to decide – where you want to go with things. All right, we got some other things we want to get into before we're done. Um, there is some news of interest. Really interesting Alexander Rossi comments with David Malsher Lopez that tells you pretty much all you need to know without officially telling you and not breaking the terms of any contract. So we'll do that coming up in a little bit and chat with J.R. Hildebrand coming up. Trackside 93.5107.5 The Fan. Hi, this is Kyle Kirkwood and you're listening to Trackside. Hey, one of the guests last night from the Prime 47 Indy Burger Bash, Kyle Kirkwood, J.R. Hildebrand wanted to come, had something come up with a sponsor appearance, so he's going to join us here coming up in just a moment. While we have a moment, I really do want to thank everybody for, uh, it's like when you throw a party, Kurt, you're never sure how many people are going to come, and this is a different environment, different location. We don't have the out-of-towners, so I was Very pleased when I saw a full parking lot outside and a full building inside. It was the right space. It was the right location. And we had the right, the right number of drivers. I mean, the right, just really enthusiastic. They posed for photographs. They posed, uh, they took time on the station, on the radio show. They were, they were very good. Very good. So we'll, we'll get to some thank yous coming up in just a moment and tell you what else else is coming up on Friday. For those of you that are coming in out of town, just for race weekend but joining us now is the driver of the number 11 homes for our troops chevy with aj foyt racing and abc supply it's our friend jr hildebrand jr how are you i'm great great to glad to be on with you guys how are you good good and good to talk with you so we're getting set for it's hard to believe since we've known you since you were a teenager i remember seeing you speak at a <laughs> banquet uh when you were 16 or 17 and you were well, you were probably in a low formula car series and thought, man, this guy's smart. He's good. He's going to be somebody. And now you're getting set for your 12th <laughs> Indy 500 and you got your best start in five years. Uh, how are you feeling about things for this month so far? Yeah, good. I mean, um, a little lucky, I think, with an early draw. And then we had some guys go from ahead of us to behind us by going back out, which isn't normally how it <laughs> works. But um yeah, you know, I, I think that, frankly, we we have, with the conditions, being, everybody's talked about kind of the, the, the variability of the conditions that we had over the past week. Um, you know, that that definitely made it tough for us to, just as a group, to really find what we were looking for. And so I, I would say between that and past Friday being kind of, you know, un, unusable, really, in terms of figuring much out, um, for us to qualify where we did, if you'd have told if you'd have told me that that's where we'd be at, we'd be at a you know two thirty one something average um, by the on the end of the day on Fast Friday. I th- I think I'd definitely have taken that, and uh, just a lot of uncertainty 
um, heading into those qualifying runs. We feel better about where we're at and, you know, more like we know where we're at with the race car. But, um, yeah, I guess altogether it's gone by super quick. And uh, we got we got hopefully a couple more hours. We'll at least get a little more time on track to keep plugging away at it and really enjoying the time with the squad. So we were discussing before you came on about what was the key factor in all – and the speeds going up. If you could point to one thing, and it's always many things, why did the speeds as a whole go up so much this year? That's a good question. Um, I think that it's a it's. If I was to say one thing, if it's one thing, it's that the teams are even more dialed in terms of what all the little kind of nuances of the aerodynamic package of the car. I think that has a lot to do with it. Um, I'll I'll kind of expand on that here just super quick and say that another thing was particularly on Sunday, the conditions were quite good in terms of the track temps and kind of what what was achievable in those conditions. We had like a relatively, it wasn't super cold on the ambient, so the cars got through the air pretty well. Um, and, but the track itself, it was, since it was overcast for a lot of that day, the track itself was in really good shape. Um, and, you know, it, it honestly, guys, it just doesn't take that much. I mean, I was talking to Scott after, uh, after his run and later, you know, later in the day. And, um, you know, we were kind of like, man, like maybe it wouldn't, maybe it wouldn't even feel that different to go 237. You know, um, because just the difference between 231 and 234 or, or running a lap that you get, you're getting a little sniff of a toe and you're going, you know, for me, 232 and a half instead of like maybe a 230 mile an hour lap. You know, the only difference you're noticing is just the RPM lights pulling a little harder. You know, it doesn't take a lot for for that extra speed to accumulate over the course of two and a half miles. So, um just you know really cool to see and and cool to be a part of for sure so you kind of alluded to it so i'll follow up with it uh we've always thought this ari leyendike speed was not just so big that we couldn't get our heads around it but it, it just really seemed fast it seemed like a warp speed kind of deal and you're right. Now it kind of feels like maybe, and I watched the video of Lion Dykes run, it just looks so stinking fast, but the, you yeah. were right. You guys are right there now. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, uh, you know, the cars, the cars generate the lap time in a little bit of a different way now. And, you know, it's it, because they're so efficient from an aerodynamic perspective, um, making a lot of grip. And, and, and so, you know, back then, even for a lap that's flat out around the speedway, still a, kind of bigger bigger difference i think in terms of the minimum cornering speed and the peak straightaway speed cars still like accelerating a lot off the corner and hustling down the straight whereas now you know we don't quite have that same peak power but the cars have you know they've just gotten to this really intense state of refinement in terms of how they get through the corner. And so um, I think that's, that was a little bit of what, what, what Dixie and I were talking about. It's like, man, like, you know, a hundred horsepower would go a long way. Like, you know, it would just, you just, you just pop a number like out of nowhere, I think. And, and probably not 
think twice about it until something's going wrong. You know, a couple miles an hour when something goes wrong might be really noticeable. But you know, that was that's the part that we don't know. But as race car drivers, of course, you don't. That's never the first thing that comes to mind when you start having those conversations. So, yeah, it's pretty cool. I've talked to Ari about this before, and he said it was more comfortable going 237 with a good car than yeah. I think the next year when he was going 218 with a car that didn't handle very well. If you got a good car, yeah. 237, it's fine. It's when you've got a bad car that no matter what the speed is, that's difficult. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've talked to Ari a little bit about about just that run. Like, what did it feel like that day? And and did it did it you know a lot of the same things we're bringing up. Like, did it feel fast? Like, did you know that that's where, where you were going to end up? And he just kind of said, you know, it's you you don't you don't know until you really see the number pop up on the dash or you see it up on the board or whatever. But um, you know, so much of it, so much of the difference between a car that feels good and and runs that number and the one that and the one that doesn't um, is just they can run those numbers because because the car is that good. You know, Scott Dixon on that pole lap, you're on that pole run. That might have felt that probably felt way better and in a lot of ways easier than the run that he made just the day before on Saturday, kind of like in the heat of the day. So there's a lot of those conditions that factor into the whole thing. And, um, you know, I think it, it goes to show that all it takes is a few of the right things to be just right. And it can be a pretty big difference in terms of the number that, uh, that you throw up on the pylon. Do you have a sense yet if you're in the middle of a line, are you going to be able to make your way forward without someone just simply uh, failing to pass and then you taking advantage of it or making a mistake? Or is that the way it always uh, is when you make a pass at, at Indy? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I do think that, you know, we, we've talked at length about really since the universal aero kit came around, the cars are just it's a, the, the air that you're driving in is a little dirtier, but particularly once you get three, four cars back. And uh, that's particularly so when you're eight or 10 or 12 cars through a line. Um, I do think in, in some respects, you know, in these cooler practice days, seeing a little bit more of like the good cars, the good cars that, um, just because they're handling really well um, over the course of a stint, they can make a couple of things happen. I mean, I was I was a little bit surprised on Monday. I think we've all kind of succumbed to the idea that if you're the 12th car in line, that it's just not going to happen. I mean, that's very much how it feels. That's how it's more or less how it's been for the for the last couple of races. Um, you're you're getting into fuel safe mode. You're trying to work the strategy you're really putting a lot of emphasis on in and out laps like places where you can pick up you know that little bit of pace or a little bit of time um and then you know to your guys point kind of taking it being there to take advantage of somebody making a mistake and that's how you're picking off the cars in front of you there were a couple of cars on monday that i thought i don't know man like they might they might just be able to work their way through a bit of a pack so that that quickly becomes your reference point as a, as a driver that, you know, we didn't quite feel like we were in that, in that boat. So you knew that there's some headway to be, to be made in terms of the setup of the car and what you need, what you might need to be able to do on race day. Flip side to all of this is it's going to be totally different conditions on Sunday. So it's going to be hot. The track temp's going to be up. The track this year seems to be kind of hypersensitive to 
track temperature or the, the grip that's available is really starts to go away from you as track temp increases. So um, I think this year for that reason, more than anything else, um, it's going to be more of having a car. You're going to be trying to have a car that can take advantage of the car in front of you making a mistake or more too aggressively, you know, closing on the car in front of it through a corner, having a big washout, needing to be able to take advantage and be be close enough that just that you could take advantage of of that dynamic going on in front of you. Um, and I think that you'll see a lot of that because at this point, everybody knows that you know this is it's more like a road course now. Like wh- where you qualify matters matters a lot. Um, you know, this is not kind of like 2015, 2016, where you could have a good car and be mired back in the pack and just drive your way to the front. So uh, I think that I think that just because the intensity factor and the assertiveness is going to be quite high uh, just throughout the field, you'll have a lot of this kind of accordion effect and and the right guys in the right cars being able to take advantage of that and work their way up the field just due to the, you know, combination of kind of mistakes and, and timing. J.R. Hildebrand is joining us. He's driving for ABC Supply and A.J. Foyt Racing in the number 11 Chevy, but on the car you're seeing logos for something different. ABC Supply has volunteered the design of the car to raise awareness for homes for our troops. And I think you're the perfect guy for this, representing the National Guard for uh, several years. So tell me about this program and what it means for our veterans. Yeah, it's awesome. And I was I was really glad to be able to be a part of this when they told me that this is this is what we're going to be doing in Indy this year. I was really stoked. So it's Homes for Our Troops is a foundation, uh, 501c3, that raises uh, raises money to build homes like from scratch to injured servicemen and women um, post 9-11, sort of post the post nine from the post 9-11 era. And so uh, they've and I think I guess to me, the thing that's really cool about it they've built 350 plus homes already as you can imagine there's quite a list of veterans waiting to get have their ticket punched um and and a lot of that is the the demand and the interest that has been created or generated by the charity is because of the fact that it's really like top to bottom support so it's it's not going in and retrofitting an existing home it's building a home from scratch that they all have sort of a, a basic floor plan and, and that kind of stuff, but they're tailored to the exact needs of that veteran and, and their family. So um, in addition to that, I think, you know, one of the things that I found in my varied experience working with um, military oriented organizations, certainly with the guard for, for a few years and, and the variety of, uh, entities that that we interacted with through that program, going to Walter Reed, going to Bethesda, seeing, uh, you know, spending some time in like the amputee wards at, at Walter Reed. I mean, it's when you see it up close and personal. You talk to um, these men and women in uniform, their families, what they're going through. You kind of realize that it's not just what's going on that day. It's not this one specific you know, sort of component of their life that's being affected. It's their entire life is being affected by something that's happened while they've been in the line of duty or, or been serving in the military otherwise. 
so I think one of the things that I really appreciated about the hearing the story of Homes for Our Troops is the depth to which they're helping these men and women. So it's it's financial planning, family planning. Um, it's not like, okay, we're going to come in and build a house and then we're out. You know, um, they they do everything to really you know get these folks set up and and ready to move on to the next phase of their life as as best as possible and 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 propping them up as they most certainly deserve so um the program itself is is really awesome great to be back with abc supply co as we were last year obviously a longtime partner of aj Foyt racing and uh they're going to be matching dollar for dollar this week um every donation that's made for made to homes for our troops up to a million dollars so that's Wow. Um, a huge part of what, what we're sort of, you know, leaning on uh, our audiences for this week and uh, playing, playing our part in, which is uh, just so cool to see sort of all of that coming together with some great partners this year. And the website is H-F-O-T, Homes for Our Troops, H-F-O-T-U-S-A.org. And we're going to be doing another little mini event uh, on Friday night at Raceway Park before the Carb Night Classic, the Rodindi races and, and USAC races. Well, more details on that, a little mini auction to raise some money, and we'll take donations. We do our show out there as well. JR, it's always good to talk to you. Thank you so much. Good luck this weekend. We appreciate it. Right on. Thanks, guys. Thank you, JR Hildebrand in the number 11 homes for our troops, Chevrolet. All right, wanted to get to uh, one more thing in this segment. Kurt, David Malsher Lopez had a good get on motorsport.com from Alexander Rossi, who confirmed, and it's just reading with Kevin here, because uh, I think there's no analysis needed. It's just David's story and reading the quotes with Alex saying, what well, we already know, but just going a step further. He confirmed to motorsport.com that he signed a new contract and it will be announced in three to four weeks, citing legal reasons why it can't be revealed now. Asked what his priority was when weighing options for a new deal. He said, I want to win the championship. It's all about the championship for me. The Indy 500 is awesome. It's great. But the biggest motivation for me on Sunday is the chance to gain double points. That's interesting. Uh, when quizzed as to how many IndyCar teams he believes are capable of winning the IndyCar championship, three. And asked if one of those teams was Andretti Autosport, he replied, we haven't been for a long time. Just look at the stats. There was 2012 with Ryan and nothing since. Now, that said... Rossi said, I do believe Colton could have won the championship last year, but some circumstances had hurt him. And he goes on to explain that a little bit more. But for the last decade, there have been two teams dominating the title, Chip Ganassi Racing and Team Penske. And now I think there's three teams capable. Our cars are fast enough to win it. I keep telling people our cars are potential championship winning race cars fast almost everywhere we go. And that third team is the team he's going to that's no one's refuted, Errol McLaren SB. So fantastic stuff for Rossi there. Yeah, he uh, he just keeps talking about the small details that Andretti doesn't have, and he said, "I've voiced my concerns. Some have been some have been addressed. Don't get me wrong, but some haven't, and that's a major frustration. The small details. So, yep, I think we know what he where, where he's uh, not going to be in twenty twenty three, and we'll get the rest of it later." And there's a date when he's allowed to announce that, and it is coming up sometime in June, apparently. All right, coming up in just a moment, 
other racing going on this weekend. We've been telling you what's going on at the Speedrome and Circle City Raceway. So we'll get into some details with short track star Brady Bacon coming up in just a moment. Missed on some of your tweets for today. A lot of good ones. I'm saving them. We'll do them tomorrow night when we're back uh, to cover some more things and start to get in the race. Stay with us. There's more to come coming up tonight on Trackside. Welcome back to Trackside. Kurt Cavan during a busy Indianapolis 500 week. We've got two nights of USAC Sprint Car Racing at Circle City Raceway this week. Wednesday and Thursday night, dirt racing, a lot of fun. And one of the big stars that uh, you'll see on these nights, Brady Bacon. By the way, Brady, I can't – it seems like it's. it was just yesterday. You were running like at a midget at Knoxville at like 15 years old. And, and now you've got three Sprint Car Championships. You're running all over the country. Uh it seems you've been just doing this for such a long time and yet you're still such a young guy. Uh, yeah, I got started at a young age and had success early on and kind of weathered the storm of, uh, you know, the 2008 economy issues and, uh, managed to kind of, you know, bounce around, change directions of my career a couple of times. And then, uh, the last few years we settled, you know, with the USAC series and, and have, uh, you know, several championships and, and a lot of wins. So racing at Circle City Raceway, this is the first time, I guess last year was the first time that we had seen uh, that racetrack, you know, in full glory. Uh, You ran well there last year, and I think that was the first time we'd seen sprint cars back in in this part of uh, central Indiana since uh, really been a long time, like almost 40 years, 37 years, I think, exactly. What did you think of the racetrack? What did you think of the racing? I I know you did well. Uh, yeah, the racetrack, uh, had some struggles early on, which is pretty typical of a new facility. Kind of the dirt was still settling, finding its way. And then it got better and better every time we went, uh, obviously the location's awesome being in the, you know, Indianapolis Metro area and so accessible to so many fans, uh, especially this week during, uh, you know, the week of the Indianapolis 500. So looking forward to everyone coming out that's there, you know, that's in town for that. And, uh, yeah, we hope to continue our, you know, kind of success. We had a little bad luck last time we were there with USAC sprint cars had to go to the tail and still came back to third, I think. So we have a lot of speed there and hoping to, you know, not have any issues and capitalize with a win. You have a couple track records on the USAC side at, uh, at the racetrack. Yeah, we were quick time, um, at the first USAC midget race there and for the first USAC sprint car race there. So we currently hold both track records. I don't know how long that will last. Uh, you know, track improves every time we go. So um, as long as I'm the one that sets quick time, I guess we'll just keep knocking it down. That's right. Brady, Break, Brady Bacon joins us. Uh, the When you got Lakeside Speedway a couple of weeks ago, was that last week? It may have been last week at, in Kansas City. 42 career USAC sprint car wins now. That ties... Poncho Carter for sixth place on the all-time list. And a lot of our listeners will know most of the names in the top five, Dave Darlin, uh, Tom Bigelow, Tracy Hines, Jack Hewitt, Larry Dixon. That's some big stuff. Uh, yeah, it's been kind of cool. Uh, not something that you think about, you know, earlier in your career, but um, the, the stats are kind of bunched up there in that area. So kind of each win we get a little, movement in the standings or records, which is kind of cool to keep track of, but not something that we uh, dwell on or think about a lot, but uh, Richie with USAC does a good job of keeping track of all that and keeping everybody posted on, uh, on where we're at. So hopefully we can eventually climb our way to the top and, uh, and be number one. 
Speaking of the speedway, uh, will you have a chance to spend any time at the racetrack, the, the big racetrack this week, get a chance maybe to see carb day or, or your schedule pretty busy? Yeah, we're pretty busy. We run, uh, you know, two days at circle city, Wednesday, Thursday, and then, uh, Saturday is a little 500 at Anderson. And, and then we also have some practice and qualifying events, uh, scattered throughout the week, um, mixed in there at Anderson. So a lot of back and forth between circle city and Anderson, uh, usually have events, you know, at both tracks in each day. So keeps us busy. And then, uh, Sunday we're going to head over to Ohio and run a, a race as well. So this week, uh, you know, is, is busy for us and a good opportunity to get a lot of racing in, uh, right around Indianapolis. Well, you join uh, CJ Leary, Justin Grant, Tanner Thornson, uh, a lot of big names. Kenny Schrader will be running in the uh, modified division at Circle City Raceway this week. Uh, gates uh, will open at 530 both nights, Wednesday and Thursday. Hot laps at six. Um, I guess uh, you keep adding to the wind total. How many more should we put you down for uh, national sprint car victories this season? couple, three, four? Uh, we, you know, we've been averaging, uh, you know, about four or five a year, but, uh, I feel like our program's really fast this year and we've been, uh, the races that we didn't win, we were, uh, you know, I think we finished second three times. So we've been right there every night. So, uh, this is a, a sport of momentum and, uh, you know, swings and, uh, ups and downs, peaks and valleys. So if we can catch the peak at the right time, you know, during Indiana sprint week or something, you can, uh, you can rip off several wins right there in a row. That's Brady Bacon. He will be uh, one of the guys to beat this week, Wednesday and Thursday. It feels like, I mean, the week's just flying by with the Indy 500, so it uh, it's hard to keep track of the days. But JMV will be live on site Wednesday night. Find out more about Circle City Raceway at circlecityraceway.com. That does it for Trackside tonight. We'll be back tomorrow, Thursday, and Friday. Thanks to J.R. Hildebrand and Brady Bacon. For Kevin, I'm Kurt. Stay tuned for Beyond the Bricks with Jake and Mike next on 93.1 and 107.5 The Fan.